0: Hello everyone and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm Chris Saplinski. Environmental managers are always thinking about how their companies or facilities are complying with federal, state, and local regulations. Many use environmental audits as tools to help assess compliance liabilities and provide a basis for minimizing those liabilities by bringing to light areas of noncompliance. This leads to implementation of corrective measures before federal or state inspectors and investigators visit a facility. However, conducting a comprehensive environmental audit can be a daunting task. How can we keep audits from getting too big? On today's episode of EHS on Tap, Doug Rulin, environmental and sustainability consultant and owner of Resource Management Associates, joins us to talk about how to keep environmental audits manageable so that they can be an efficient,
1: useful tool.
0: Doug, welcome to EHS On OnTap.
1: Well, thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be with you.
0: So, conducting a comprehensive facility-wide multimedia environmental audit seems like a huge and complicated task, especially as you deal with larger companies and facilities. But is it best to do it this way? or do you recommend dividing the audit into more manageable segments?
1: Well, Chris, those are a great couple of questions and we we deal with them often when we do uh, environmental audits. We're asked to do environmental audits for companies both large and small. Um, You know, we we always start the process off by asking our potential clients, um, what exactly do you want from this audit? What's the purpose of the audit? And I, I think that's a great place to start. Um, in your introduction you had mentioned federal and state uh, investigators and regulations and, and certainly regulatory compliance is, is very often the driver for environmental audits in fact I, I dare say it's it's probably the large majority of uh, the environmental auditing that we do is driven by the need to determine compliance with environmental regulations but bear in mind it's not the only reason to do environmental audits and companies may have other very valid reasons to to do environmental audits for example to determine conformance uh, with an environmental management system, to meet um, other uh, corporate environmental goals, to meet uh, investor uh, requirements, but there are a lot of different reasons to get a very good handle on where you stand relative to environmental practices and environmental regulations. So it's a great it's a great place to start is to say well why do we want to do this what what do we want to get out of it why are we doing this environmental audit and i think that's the first question that typically has to be asked so with regards to it being a huge and complicated task in some cases it may be but in some cases it may be a very small and manageable task and it really depends upon the facility depends upon the scope of the audit and it depends upon the goals so really clarifying the scope and purpose of the environmental audit process is really the thing that you want to do right up front okay. to keep the process manageable and really make sure you get the results that you're, you're looking for. So I'd say, you know, divide the audit into one or more manageable segments. Certainly, if that makes sense for you to meet your objectives and your goals, if that's what you're looking for, then that's, that's a, a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Or to do it in a more comprehensive uh, multimedia fashion, that'd be fine as well. So, so I guess the, the sum answer to that is there's all kinds of audits to meet all kinds of objectives and goals, and it really depends upon what you want out of the, out of the audit.
0: Gotcha. Great. Thanks. Um, if you do divide it um, by media, what's the best way to, to, to go about that? Would that be um, by media such as air or water, by process, by building or area within the facility? Um, by function, such as train training or record-keeping, or some other way?
1: Well, you know, and the answer to that would be kind of all of the above. Um, we have done, for example, environmental audits that were limited to NPDF compliance, water issues. Um, we've done air uh, compliance audits. Uh, we have done audits of a company where they owned a plant that occupied two sides of a road and we were asked to do an audit on one side of the road and not the other Hmm. we've done one corporate um division and not the other so it it can be divided really any way that you want again going back to the desired scope and and the desired goal now we're, we're i think we're probably eventually gonna ask and answer some questions hopefully in this uh... segment this morning where there might be some drawbacks to dividing it up. But there certainly is also some benefits to to carving up an environmental audit. For one thing, as you're kind of hinting at, it can make it more manageable, can make it easier. Um, If you're going to hire an outside firm such as ours to do an environmental audit and your primary concern is NPDS compliance and you bring us in just to look at NPDS compliance, well then you're going to get a more focused, uh, more concise, uh, tighter environmental audit then if you get a larger, more comprehensive multimedia one, that may take a look at areas that you may or may not be overly concerned about at that point in time. If your primary focus is NPDS compliance and you've got a team that's out there looking at NPDS compliance and um, air quality issues, the air quality issues may not be um, pertinent to you. Um, if you've got a team that's out there it's looking at NPDS issues, but your real focus is on... Um, environmental impacts from your facility as they may relate to an environmental management system because you're looking to get your uh, facility you know, ISO 14001 certified or something then maybe the NPDS uh, efforts are not really worthwhile So, or, or, or aren't really as relevant as they might be otherwise. So again it really kind of comes down to what's the scope, what's the desired goal and, and I think it's, you know, I, I've, I've hammered on that now several times so right. far And I think it's really, really important that that folks understand that, that the facilities that are considering environmental audits understand that so that they can make sure they get that nailed down before the process begins so that all, all parties involved understand what's the intent and what's the scope. What do we want to look at and what do we want to get out of it? With a full understanding of the ramifications of those decisions, certainly, but I think that's really the place to go. So really, you know, to sum up the answer in terms of, divvying it up, dividing it up, you can really do it pretty much however everyone is in agreement to do it. As long as it meets your goals, your objectives, and the desired scope, you can pretty much do whatever you want. There really is no set formal requirement, so to speak.
0: Thanks. That sounds like great advice. Um, Well, whether you are taking it all at once or dividing an audit into uh, manageable segments, it still seems like a big job that demands different expertise at different times. So I wanted to ask about the who of conducting audits. Um, first, are there specific qualifications for who can do an audit?
1: Yeah, well, this is kind of the, the, the funny part of the answer is there, there really, per se, aren't any quote-unquote rules for doing environmental audits. Okay. Um, it, it's almost like a, a contractual relationship between the person doing the audit and the, the, the person who is hiring to do the audit or, or, or uh, contracting have the audit done um, you know you can you can and we see this often mm-hmm. is you can hire people who are um, very unqualified to do environmental audits who, who've taken a course for example um, in environmental issues and you think that that gives them uh, the ability to go out and do multimedia inspections it probably doesn't um, we've seen people who are top-notch in one area for example, such as AIR, um, who are completely unprepared to do NPDS work or EPCRA um, reporting work or, or whatever the case may be. So it, it really, again, kind of comes down to that initial discussion of what do we want audited and what are our goals and objectives. If, if you wanted a very cursory, top-level um very light audit done, then you could probably use almost anybody that you can find on the internet. But if you have very specific, very focused needs, then you're probably better going off with with somebody or, or hiring somebody or having somebody do it who has demonstrated experience and capability not only in doing environmental audits, but conducting environmental audits in the areas in the areas that you're interested in. Again, for example air uh, quality work. Now having said that, um, I, I, we're fairly big advocates of also having experience in the industries in, in which you work. Now, I think okay. that's crucial. Um, we've seen very often that people that were probably pretty pretty qualified and pretty capable otherwise uh, went into industries and conducted environmental audits and came up with findings that were, were inconclusive or inappropriate given the scale, or the scope, um, or the type of facility. It really, kind of what I'm saying is, they really don't know that industry. they do not experienced that industry. So I would certainly recommend that, as to the highest degree possible, rather than just finding a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. that you try and find somebody who's not only not only real good with with the the uh, things you're looking for, and by things I mean, you know, if you're doing this for. Environmental management system conformance. Then you really should have somebody who understands not only the regulations but understands environmental management systems. If you're specifically doing this for NPDS compliance, then you probably should have somebody who's got a strong um, work of experience or body of experience in the NPDS realm, um, etc. But it's also helpful to have some experience in the industry in which you work or in the type of facility that you are. So, for example, a guy who's, you know, a top-notch guy taking a look at plastics manufacturing facilities may be completely inappropriate for doing an environmental audit at a furniture manufacturing facility, for example. So I I do think that that vetting of the person involved is, is a very important task. Again, to make sure that you get exactly what you're looking for. You meet the desired objectives of, of your environmental audit. So it, it, you ask also asking the question about it is is you know who can do it? Is it a one man show? I think you can kind of tell that very often it could be, but very often it may not be, depending upon a lot of variables, the size of the facility, the scope of the audit, um, and you know, exactly what you're looking for. So sometimes a team is gonna descend, but sometimes one guy can handle it on his own.
0: Thanks. And it sounds like the most common practice would be to to hire or contract with somebody externally. Um, is it ever um, appropriate or um, would it ever make sense for to have an internal person conduct the audit or an internal team?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. We we see this a lot. Um, we 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 meet a lot of companies who say, "Well, we've had our environmental manager do an environmental audit," um, and and. To us, in a manner of speaking, that that's almost kind of like putting the the fox in in charge of the hen house, right there. Yeah. Um, a long time ago, uh, thirty thirty some years ago, the EPA came out um, with a definition of environmental audits, and they came up with a few requirements that in in their mind constituted what an audit is. And one of them was that it's supposed to be an objective review, right and you know, they, I, I don't believe there's a definition in that definition, so to speak, of what the word objective means. But the way we define it, when we're either teaching people to do auditing, or when we're, we're when we're selling auditing, or when we're conducting audits, is that, you know, basically it comes down to that you're you you do not have you don't have something riding on it. Now, you could say that well, in a sense, everybody's got something riding on the audit. For example. Uh, my company, Resource Management Associates, we conduct environmental audits. We get paid to do environmental audits. But we make it clear that our compensation is not dependent upon the results. You're hiring us, much like when you go to a doctor. You're hiring us to be independent and objective. And, you know, I I don't have a, a dog in the fight. We don't have a dog in the fight. Right. So when we go to look... Our job isn't riding on it. Our 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 annual bonus isn't riding on it. Our performance review isn't writing on it. And and I have no I have no vested interest in trying to get a better score than the other plant located on the other side of town. So mm. I do think from the aspect of environmental auditing, I think being objective is extremely critical to the process. And and having said that, it always kind of has made me wonder if an internal person can be truly independent, if they can be truly objective of the process. And I, I, I'm i somewhat skeptical that that can happen, but I know there are ways that that can be accomplished. And so, for example, you may have a large company which has plants all over the region or all all over the country. What they may do is they may bring in um, the, the environmental manager for re, from Region A to do environmental audits of the facilities in Region B and vice versa. You might have one plant manager come over and audit another plant, that sort of thing. And that's kind of an internal trick to attempt to provide a measure of objectivity uh, into the process. Does it work? Uh, it certainly works better than if you're you know if you're reviewing your own work, but right. I still think that it's um, you know it, it's somewhat it's somewhat of a, a difficult process to do it internally obviously, as external consultants, we recommend 100% of the time to have external consultants do it. But I I do recognize that that's probably unrealistic given today's financial constraints that businesses operate under um, and other similar factors. Uh, You you know, I know that there's a lot of businesses, and I think we'll probably touch upon this in a moment, who are very concerned about airing their dirty laundry to anybody outside of the the family, so to speak. Hmm. And so a lot of people are very hesitant to hire somebody outside. And, and, but there are, ways, there are ways to protect that and ensure that's done correctly. And I think we, we may touch upon that in a moment. So we typically almost always say you're far better off with an external, objective person coming in who's got experience and who's knowledgeable, who can do the job um, that you want. Um, you know, a lot of people say that we're concerned about that because we think this is going to be some huge, complicated thing, similar to the first question you asked. Um, only to find out that it may not be based upon really the desired scope of of what they're looking to get done. So, again, a lot of variables involved, but typically we say it's better to go external than internal so that you can provide that objectivity. Now, again, I say that being an external uh, consultant. Right. Obviously there's a degree of bias in my answer there, but I I think that's probably a general industry consensus is that you're better off um, in most cases with an environmental audit by having an external party do it.
0: Um, and I, know, I realize that this next uh, question, you know, again, uh, has is somewhat dependent on, you know, the scope of the audit and the size of the facility and um, other uh, variables and factors you've touched upon. But is there a, a general basic answer as to what the members of an audit team should include?
1: Well, and that's another great question. You, you know, typically what we do when we conduct an audit is we we reach out to members of the entity that we are auditing to, to kind of almost form a team, so to speak. Okay. Um, we we become the ringleaders and we are the technical experts, but we clearly cannot do the job um, working in a vacuum. So we've got to involve others to give us the information that we need to be able to provide the answers that the facility is looking for. So, for, for example, it, it's probably going to be hard for me to go into a facility and uh, do an environmental audit without speaking and probably speaking at length with the facility manager Um, and probably the environmental manager, if they have one. I I need to know what makes these people tick. I need to know what they do, how they do it, um, how they go about doing things, how they document things, where they document things. So there's a lot that's involved to it. So from, from our perspective, and I think this is probably typical of a lot, if not most consultants who do external auditing, environmental auditing, as an external auditor, um, we really kind of look at formulating a group of key parties to be able to collectively provide the information. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the plant manager now becomes part of the, the auditing process. Uh, you know, he's not the auditor. He becomes just a, a key a key factor in the process. Okay, he's a source of information, so to speak. And I think that's really important because if you're just going to walk in there um, and just walk around silently with a, with a clipboard, you're probably not going to get out of it you're probably not going to be able to generate the answers um, that you really need. For example, I'll give you a couple examples. We recently did an audit where we were we were retained by the company to go and visit a number of facilities and audit solely upon what we found at the facility since they kept a lot of documents back in, in the back office, in the main office, a lot of documentation, a lot of record keeping. There's a lot of knowledge was based, back in their main office, but they wanted to see how the guys on the front line were prepared uh, for whatever may come at them. And so in that case, we were specifically directed not to spend much, if any, time going through the back office records, really digging deep on the documentation. It's kind of like what was there on the front line is what we have on the front line sufficient. Are we ready to face whatever may come at us? And so in that case, before we started the audit, we were very uh, clearly defined upon the goals and objectives of, of what the facility wanted out of that particular auditing assignment. Um, so so it, it really it kind of depends, like everything else I think I've given you the answer uh, several times, it really depends upon what's the, the desired scope, the desired objectives that you want out of the audit in mm-hmm. terms of who you'd formulate as a team. I mean, certainly from the aspect of an auditor, it, I think it's clear that you've got to have somebody who knows what they're talking about, who knows what they're looking at. So you need to know that type of facility, you need to know that type of industry, and you need to, to know the either the rules and regulations that pertain that you're auditing under, whatever they may be, whether they're the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act or EPCRA or, or whatever the case may be, um, and, you know, who who... who or somebody who knows, you know, environmental management systems, that sort of thing. But really, it's it's got to be first and foremost. You've got to have somebody leading the team who's experienced and knowledgeable. But from there, you kind of pull in players as part of the team as, as really necessary to fit the uh, the desired end mission of the audit itself.
0: Great. Thanks. Um, now, in terms of actually walking through the facility, um, is there a method or guidelines to follow to efficiently conduct a walkthrough evaluation? Uh, and get what you need to get out of it.
1: Yeah, once it, once again, another great question. Once again, there there really isn't a you know a formal checklist. Okay. Um, you, you know there is no um, standardized procedure, so to speak. Um, it, only because you know the, the the concept of environmental audit is so highly variable. Um, I, I say again, you know, if you're doing an environmental audit for um, compliance under NPDS regulations, it's one thing. But if you're doing an environmental audit for conformance to ISO fourteen thousand and one, for example, or um, you know to check on somebody's environmental auditing program, which is another thing that that we do sometimes, we're actually called in to review internal auditing environmental audit programs themselves. So it, it, the 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 scope is so variable that there isn't kind of a master checklist that you can download from the EPA's website to conduct um, an environmental audit. So. I think typically what you find is that most parties, be they internal or external, kind of develop their own system, their own checklist, their own process, their own way of doing things. I mean, I know we internally here have our own way of doing things. Um, We've developed, you know, we have in-house training, we've developed checklists, and we have a way of, of going about doing these things. Uh, You know, is it perfect? I'm not sure, but it works for us in terms of meeting what we have faced so far with the goals and objectives and scope of the clients that that we've come across. I'm sure other companies have their own way of doing things. Uh, It it is important, you know, with regards to whatever we do, um, again, be we internal or external auditors, however, again, that we meet the goals and objectives. So, you know, I've seen people who i've seen checklists that people used for their their compliance reviews i'm not going to go so far as call them environmental audits that were woefully inadequate Hmm. they're not asking the right kinds of questions they're not digging deep enough they're not really getting to to the to the core of the issues and so as a result you you get a cursory answer you get a very glossy answer to what's going on so you know it, it no matter what you do, you've got to do it well and you've got to do it correctly. And if not, you know, an audit in some cases, and I think we'll probably come to this, could could possibly do more harm than, than good um, if it's done poorly or done incorrectly. So to answer your question, there's not really a standard format, so to speak. Um, You know, again, going back to that EPA definition, uh, that environmental audits are supposed to be systematic, um, documented, periodic, and objective, and and I I like that. I preach that a lot because that says a lot about environmental auditing. Um, However you do it, you need to do it well. You need to do it regularly. You need to do it uh, with a good, firm base of knowledge and experience and, and professionalism and Really, if, if you're not doing that, I, I don't necessarily want to say it's not worth doing, but you can, in some cases, do, do some harm to yourself. So answer the question in summary. No, there's not really a, a one-size-fits-all um, one scope or uh, method or checklist to conduct environmental audits. It's, it's really kind of predicated on the desired end result and who's doing it and what they're looking for. I, I, I'd say that's probably a pretty fair answer.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, now let's say in the process of conducting the audit whether it's you or um, you know another external uh, company or even somebody internally and uh, a problem is discovered. Um, what is the obligation of the person who's conducting the audit at that point I mean do they have to uh, report it what what's their what's their uh, first step?
1: okay so so let me make it perfectly clear before i answer this question that Mm. i am not an attorney and so i am not giving legal advice at this point in time okay um i am before we finish off here going to mention um good qualified legal counsel when it comes to environmental audits for exactly this reason okay but i am not an attorney so i'm not providing legal advice and and i don't think this uh, this podcast is intended as this legal advice either um but I would say that is a great question, and that's probably – that question alone is probably the biggest impediment to to regulated entities um, from not doing environmental audits. And, you know, I, I sometimes make this analogy, and I, I, I think I mentioned it previously, about going to a doctor. So imagine that you were going to go to – you had to go do your annual physical with your doctor um, – But you kind of had a nagging suspicion that something was wrong, that Mm -hmm. you had a problem. Um, I'm not sure how many people would say, I don't want to go to the doctor, I don't want to have my annual physical because I'm afraid he might find something bad. In fact, most people take the opposite. They say, I I think something might be wrong, I can't even wait for my annual physical, I'm going to call my doctor and go in and see him right now. Right. So if the only time you were willing to see your doctor was when you guaranteed you weren't going to have a problem, that, that kind of defeats the purpose of mm-hmm. going to a doctor and getting an annual physical. I mean, that's not the point. So if you think of an environmental audit kind of as that annual um which, by the way, brings in a a periodic question, which I hope we have a time for in a a few moments. But if you go to that doctor on a regular basis, that doctor is occasionally going to say, there is a problem, and this is how we've got to solve it. So so you get wonderful information. You get great feedback from which to run your business, from which to run your operation, your plant, whatever it is. And, And sometimes, whether it's a doctor or whether it's an environmental audit, we might find out something that's unpleasant. So... The question was, what happens if we find a problem through an audit? Um, In a lot of cases, problems are found, in a lot of cases. Um, Now, now we kind of run into the issue of, well, what is the magnitude? What is the scope? What is the level of the problem that is found? And, again, I'm not an attorney, but I'll I'll kind of give you a non-attorney's layman's answer. But I again caution everyone who potentially would be interested in this matter and is considering environmental audits to, to consult qualified legal counsel before they proceed. So I would say if you, if you find a problem, if we come across a problem, we have to look at the nature of that of that problem and determine whether it is reportable. And in some, not all, but in some cases, the nature of that problem may indeed be reportable. So let me give you an example. Suppose that, that we're hired by Company X to go out and do an environmental audit, and in the course of that audit, we find out that there is a visibly leaking above-ground storage tank that is draining petroleum or some chemical down into the local stream. So we witness it at that point in time. The facility has a has a real problem, has a real issue. Now. We, we it's our obligation immediately to tell the facility, uh, and I'll come back to that in a moment, the obligations, so to speak. But at that point in time, the facility has some degree of obligation to, to report it, particularly if there's environmental harm going on, particularly if there's any threat to um, human health, safety, and welfare, um, and particularly if it's against the law, which in that case, all three of those are, are probably in play. So the facility's definitely got an issue. Now, I, I don't think in that case any, any facility would say, well, that's all well and good, thank you, but we're going to turn a blind eye and we don't want to do that. Mm. I mean, I think that'd be pretty clear that emergency action would come into play and perhaps a phone call um, to the EPA hotline might be made, whatever the case is. But I'm trying to get the, the point across that there are clearly times when reporting is necessary and somebody's, somebody's got to make that phone call. Now suppose conversely that we came in, we did an environmental audit, and we found out that um, I'm trying to think of something that's relatively inconsequential. That uh, uh, we see this often: that documentation control is poor, that it's not done well, that the records are um, uh, very confused, um, they're messy, they're not being being handled well. Okay, but that's not really a regulatory issue. Yet I, I do think it's part of the overall the overall landscape of regulatory compliance, that wouldn't have to be reported. That wouldn't have to be called in, unless, of course, we found that uh, documents had been misappropriately uh, reported or, or something, something mm-hmm. wrong had been done. So in that case, it wouldn't need to be reported. So, so there, what I'm trying to say is that there is a spectrum between things that are of grave concern and things that are of lesser concern, and so that's really up to several parties to determine the necessary response. It's up to the facility, it's up to the consultant, it's up to the legal counsel, and it's up to the, the government entity, that the government agency that oversees that particular area. And so you can see it kind of gets to be a murky question right here. One of the ways that we attempt to address that to the highest degree possible is to make it very clear contractually what the obligations are, whose obligations are for what. And we make it very clear in our, our contracts for environmental auditing that, um, you know, we operate under the premise that if an environmental issue is found, it is the obligation of the facility. If we find it in the course of our work, it is the obligation of the facility to report it. Thankfully, we have never been in a position where that has has, been, has to have been exercised. We've never seen that leaking tank gone down into the um, into the, the stream, hmm. uh, and I'm not sure that that answer suffices, honestly. We've never really been up against that wall, personally, in yeah. that Resource Management Associates where we've been put into that position, and I'm not sure that that's a wholly appropriate answer. Uh, there is a way around this, so to speak, that we'll talk about in a moment, but that is a, it, it's a pretty sticky question, but I, I would say again, it, it kind of goes back to the analogy with the annual checkup at the doctor. If you said, "Well, geez, for the risk of finding something wrong, I'm never going to go and get my annual I, checkup," right? Your health would suffer, and eventually, your health could potentially be terminal um, to your, you know, your your living condition, so to speak. But I think it's kind of the same thing with environmental audits. Without them, you might be doing something that's leading to something really negative, really bad. Maybe an inspector is going to come in, and he's the one that's going to see that leaking tank. He's the one that's going to see this environmental problem, and then you're going to be in a lot more trouble. So I, I tell people, I say, look, if we find problems, we'll deal with them. But dealing with problems is better than ignoring them or hiding them. So I wouldn't let that idea frighten anyone off from doing environmental audits. The benefits of environmental audits are, are so strong, um, so good, that it's like going and getting your annual physical. You just you, There's no other way of doing it. Um, so. So the answer to that is it kind of depends on a lot of different factors, but yeah. it, may, it may have to be reported.
0: Thanks. Okay, so now uh, say the, uh, the audit is complete. Um, how should you protect the findings and results of your audit from unauthorized or unintended use?
1: Yeah, and that, that's probably the best question of all, and it's one that really scares a lot of people off because they're afraid not only that a problem might be found, but they might have to report it, and that you know that, that this is more than they bargained for, so to speak. So we, we do environmental audits in, in one of two ways, and I'll tell you which way we prefer. Um, we either do it directly for a company or a facility. In other words, we get hired by them. We go and we do the environmental audit. Um, we do that and we, we try and uh, handle it contractually. We say that the client is respons- facilities responsible for any problems that are found, reporting any problems are found. Um, we try and limit our liability. we try and handle it contractually, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it still it, it becomes kind of a gray area. It's kind of a murky area. The easier and better way to do it, the way that we recommend, is to use, and again, we are not attorneys, and, and make it clear that this is not legal advice that I'm about to, to say. It's not no. intended to be legal advice, and it is not legal advice. But what we what we state is that people should strongly consider um, hiring an external legal counsel, an environmental legal counsel, not the guy that you did used for your property closing or the guy who just did your will, an experienced environmental legal counsel. Hire them. Tell them that you want to do environmental audits, this is the scope that you are looking at, you're interested in looking at, um, and that you want them to hire uh, an experienced, knowledgeable uh, external consultant to do the audit. And you, you might even go so far as to say, and we would recommend you talk to the XYZ company. Okay. So what happened then is that we do not work for the facility, we work for the attorney. Um, so, it, 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 again, this is not legal advice. But in a measure of speaking, there is attorney-client privilege between us and the attorney, and then there is attorney-client privilege between the facility and the attorney. And in that manner, it provides, while perhaps not being completely ironclad, it provides a fairly high level of um, protection from unauthorized use or unauthorized access to the results of the, the um the environmental audit. We often recommend this if somebody's new to environmental audits, they've never done one before, it's the first time they do it. We always say the first time is the worst time when it comes to environmental audits because it's probably the time when the most problems are going to be found Got if it. the facility has problems. So you may strongly want to consider using external legal counsel the first time around um, to go through this so that you have some measure of attorney-client privilege, so that you have some measure of protection, so that your your findings are not discoverable. Um, should there be a problem, and, and that also gives you the benefit of a little bit of time, because now now collectively we can catch our breath. The facility can catch their breath, and they can say, "Okay, we found X, Y, and Z problems. We have to address them. Uh, we're going to do these immediately, but these we're going to hold. You know, whatever you can establish a time frame." for addressing the issues that that are found again not legal advice and i strongly advise anybody considering um widespread comprehensive particularly first-time environmental audits to consult qualified legal counsel because very often we've done it that way and and we like working that that way it's not the only way we do environmental audits but but we we like it when we, we do it that way so that's that's a good way to kind of protect it right there
0: that's some uh Some great non-legal advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm pretty good at it, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sarah. Thanks so much for all this uh, this information. Um, Are there any final takeaways or tips for environmental managers as they prepare to conduct an audit you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: yeah just, I just I would mention one thing and I kind of alluded to it there. Um, I, I think you know environmental audits much like an annual checkup from a doctor should not be a one time thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would encourage um, facilities not to think in terms of doing one environmental audit. We got a checkup. We know where we stand, that's it. we're done. But to have environmental audits be done on a regular basis, I mean, again, the EPA's definition includes the word periodic, and periodic obviously means regular, an annual checkup. Do you have to do an environmental audit annually? Probably not. That might be overkill for most folks. Maybe it's appropriate for some folks. But they should be done on a regular basis. So so that would kind of be tip number one. Saying that the first time is usually the worst time. That's when you're going to find the most issues. That's when you're going to get things corrected. And then it should get kind of less and less um, from there on. And, and then the other thing I would say is that, um, the other tip I would give is that, you know, audits are a wonderful, wonderful tool. Uh, I mean, they can, they can give you so much information and, and really help you run a better a better organization, whatever it is. But I think as, as we've kind of touched upon, you can see that there are some liabilities and some concerns here. Um, and so I, I usually tell people, proceed carefully with audits. I mean, make sure you're, you're, make sure you're ready to do this, and if you are, go about it correctly and carefully. And think about the scope. Think about who you want to do it. Think about um, legal counsel uh, before you entertain going into this thing because, you know, not only is it, it does it pay great benefits, but it does come with some degree of liability. But I again say it's like going to a doctor. I, I really don't see that there's any other way. There's very few facilities I've ever come across that have internal staff that know it all. Right. Um, and so, you know, bringing in some outside people for another, another look-see on, on who you are and what you're doing, regardless of what your intent is, I think is a, is a great, great process. So so I would, um, I would strongly encourage it. Lastly, last thing I'll say is I would also point out that the EPA has an, a thing called the audit policy, which provides relief, right, uh, enforcement relief, shall we say, should problems be found from an audit. And, and that alone is a great driver, a great motivator to conduct an environmental audit, particularly if you suspect there might be some issues. Okay. It, it is essentially your one get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, it does provide a mechanism to either eliminate or certainly reduce the penalties that you might get otherwise but that that um, availability is only made to those who find problems through environmental audits and so that to me says the first audit ought to be a comprehensive it ought to be a widespread one don't don't do that first one narrowly focused because if you do find a problem you go through the audit policy you may have lost the ability to use the audit policy again down the road should something else be found so i usually tell people do you think you got problems let's do the whole nine yards right from the get-go if we got a problem we're doing it under legal counsel consider the audit policy and that's probably the best and safest way of doing it in my opinion wow
0: that's that's uh really helpful information um if any of our listeners have any further questions on the audit process is there a a good way to uh, reach out to you
1: yeah absolutely we'd love to hear from anybody with questions about environmental audits i think as you can tell we love talking about environmental mm. audits almost as much as we love doing environmental <laughs> audits so we'd be glad to hear from any listeners out there with any further questions and, we can be reached a couple of different ways again the name of the company is resource management associates um, we do work throughout the united states we can be reached the following 8 well the following number the following toll free number which is 888 762 0230 again that's 888 762 0230 we're also on the web at www.r as in robert m as in mary a as in apple rma Again, www.rmagreen.com. And you can personally reach me at doug, D-O-U-G, at rmagreen.com. And however anybody wants to get a hold of us, we'd, we'd love to talk environmental audits and answer any questions that you folks may have.
0: Terrific. Uh, doug, uh, thanks so much for joining us today and providing us with these helpful tips.
1: Well, thank you for having uh, me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. For EHS On Tap, I'm Chris Saplinski.